This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here on a Friday, by golly, the first Friday in the month of September. And we're talking once again from the Manly Warthog Command Center inside the Piney Woods of God's country, North Central Florida, in the Melon Law Studio, one of our great sponsors. 50 years of experience, uh, Melon Law, and the only official law firm partner of the Florida Gators, neither will back down. And you'll be seeing that kick off, and we'll talk about it in a moment. Uh, tomorrow here starts the whole fall season of activities in the greater community area here. And of course, of course, uh, across your television screen. And we are also protected 24-7-365 by our good friends at Crime Prevention, cpss.net. Check out the mug shots and make sure uh, your neighbor's not there. So um, it is a um, eventful fall, as I say, coming up. It's always um, kind of the uh, anticipated thing. The kids are back in school, some of them participating in their own athletic endeavors. And there's always the proud papa um, on the sidelines watching uh, should his son be or be catapulted into greatness eventually. And that's all sort of the part of the ritual of our fall activities in our issue, uh, in our um, culture. So we'll have the opening kickoff. One of the new wrinkles I have to have kind of a private uh, laugh about this is uh, we now have a beer. Um, well, really named after Coach Spurrier coaches. Uh, evidently, there's some partnership that's been cooked up between a brewery and and uh, the stadium and and the coach and all that. And it's coaches beer. Uh, wouldn't you know it, it? I don't remember beer beer being sold in the uh, Florida field and all that before. Uh, you know, but then a lot of change uh, changes occurred in our society. I was um, joking on Facebook last night that one of the tennis players in the doubles match against the Williams sisters had on a, um, a, a skirt, I guess you'd call it, um, that would have won the mini skirt contest back in the day when such things were occurring at Dove's steer room. And, uh, of course, the wet T-shirt contest was popular then. And you would have thought back then that the world had really gone to, you know, where in a handbasket. There was great clamor among uh, the culture of Gainesville. We had fallen off the slippery slope into decadence, and probably we did, looking back on it. We kicked off the 60s that way. And, of course, Dub was a very, very smart entrepreneur and did a tremendous job um, identifying talented groups. Tom Petty was the house band there. Uh, I've seen Bob Seeger and the Silver Bullet Band there. Um, all this, uh, you know, Linda Lindell, uh, what a man, what a man, what a man. Uh, really just one after another. And then, of course, it was this famed, uh, it was all over, all over, really, the state that there was this miniskirt contest and wet T-shirt contest. And it brought out the clamoring crowds, as you might imagine. And this was uh, really a transitional period in Gainesville, because when I came here in 61, it was, believe it or not, a dry county. Uh, There was no hard liquor in Alachaway County. One of the first things that kind of got me as I lived in the uh, dorms right across the street from uh, on the um, University Avenue, right across the street there from uh, all the action. And and the first thing the older guys said was, come on and go with us. We're going to Henry's Liquors. Well, we took off and I thought we were going through the, the, the wild wilderness of all. And we were ended up, we we're going to Putnam County to get a bottle of hard liquor. And then, of course, there was a, another route that could be taken to Ruby's, 
uh, just across the county line in uh, Marion County, and that's where also liquor could be purchased. I suppose the reasoning was that um, the, the college students would just go to rack and ruin if they got around the sauce in any way, shape, or form. And so they limited the consumption of alcohol in the county to um, beer, and it was really watered-down beer. You, 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 the joke was that you knew you had a good time if you'd thrown up because you had drank enough pitchers to get a kind of a, what we call a buzz. And um, that was the kind of ethics and morals of the community then. And, of course, the women were all cloistered, if you will, in the dorms. They could not be allowed out of the dorms during the week uh, beyond 1030. And upper class women, uh, what there were of them here, could stay out with permission from the deans a little later so that they theoretically could study harder. And um, the most exciting thing that went on here that was kind of risque, this was before Dub Steer Room, uh, was a panty raid. And I used to think, what in the world is going on with these people? Uh, this is their excitement. They go, And, of course, the women would egg the males on by, you know, much like New Orleans does now with bras during Mardi Gras, hanging the things out the window and tantalize the boys. And the big accomplishment would be if one of the males could bring back uh, uh, successfully um, the, pa the panty from the female dangling it out the window of the cloistered dorm. Uh, it was an amazing phenomenon, and it was very seriously taken. Local parenti was in place then that only uh, the state knew how to protect the morals of the young people. And the best way to do it was to keep the women away from the men. And that should be done. The men, uh, women, the men we men could roam the, the, the town freely. We could live off campus. We could live in dorms. We could do what we wanted to do, but not the women. And um, that was the theory that would keep the fabric of society together and keep one here doing what one should be doing, and that's studying to do uh, a successful be entry into adult adulthood. Well, uh, along came some phenomenal changes um, that, I, you know, it's really a conflation of so many things. Uh, along came a, a decree by the state that um, they were no longer, and I don't know how it happened, I haven't researched it, but local parenti no longer applied. After all, the, these were young adults. They're so, uh, how, the debate was, how did you ensure their responsible adulthood by protecting them or by turning them loose to make their own decisions? It's an eternal debate. And it focused on the women, not the men. So uh, the women were released from local parenti and therefore could live where they wanted to live, of their own choice. Well, that was revolutionary. And all of a sudden, apartment complexes sprung up around town. And lo and behold, you might find yourself in an apartment right next door to an apartment where a female lived. It was shocking. It was unbelievable. It was culture shock. And you, you, can, you can imagine the kind of wheels that came off all of a sudden. And so there was a transition then where I'm going with Coach's beer is that beer really finally became alcohol. And the story I always heard was that, uh, you know, the big time people who had been looking at this community from outside, say from Miami and places like that, said, listen, you guys got to join the new world. We're going to build big hotels here uh, with lounges and alcohol, but you've got to go wet, which is to say you've got to legitimize alcohol. So lo and behold, alcohol was made legal. And I'm of the, of the age when I can see these dominoes fall. And it's so interesting because they were falling through no influence of our own at our age group. The adults were knocking them over. The adults were making these decisions. And uh, the adults decided that uh, we shall now tolerate alcohol in the county. And along came uh, these actual bars and lounges. And then along came ABC coming up from junk. Holiday, who started at Jack Holiday, started it down in Orlando 
It was just a warehouse where you could get economic prices up on out came to here and things began to expand. So it is so interesting. And there was no beer in Florida field. I mean, it was really taboo. And now we have reached, I don't know whether it's an ascension into, into a better culture. I don't know if better is the right word or a declension uh, into moral depravity. You, you guys have got to decide that, I suppose. Uh, but maybe the forces are beyond any, our individual influence. However, I do know the entrepreneurs and I know Steve personally. And um, he and I in our college days would have a beer together. And, and, you know, we will always kind of look over our shoulder because, after all, athletes weren't supposed to be, you know, in the tank. And, and uh, you know, you were supposed to still be this model of God or no goddesses then, no female goddesses. But the male was elevated to the stature of God and therefore particularly the football male. And so, you know, you weren't supposed to be running around and vibing and and setting a bad example for the impressionable youth. So um, uh, we, we had a colon cautiously. And now we have come to the 2022s, and I'm talking about 1965, basically, uh, when uh, we would go to a place called the Schooner Room. We would go have a colon, and cautiously, as I might say. So uh, now we've got Coach, Coach on the side of the beer, and the doggone stuff, I'm told, and I've forgotten the ounces. I think it's 16 ounces. is going for 17, as I heard, $17 a can in the stadium. That's a, over a dollar an ounce for beer. Now, I'm comparing that to a shot of alcohol in a bar. Um, you, you see, I mean, a lot of guys go up and give me a shot of this or a shot of tequila or something. So now we have... And it's going to be a theme running out today, running throughout today's show, because I want to I want to put Biden's speech in context. OK, and I, this is all part of it. So now we have come to where we have. Not only do we have beer in the stadium, but we have we're encouraged to drink it. And so um, uh, and Jack, who's way back, one of the. One of the guys that was on on the team when I was one of the coaches on the team is saying, let conscious be your guide. And Jack, you bring back so many funny stories about the high school kids who I've forgotten this, that we would always ride herd on, be sure that they didn't, when we went on these out-of-town trips, find somebody to supply them with beer that they would take to their hotel rooms, motel rooms. You know, on the long games, we'd have to go up there the night before the game up to Pensacola or places like this, Panama City. And, uh, you know, the little devils, if you didn't watch them, would have a six-pack or so, maybe a case, and they'd be in there popping the lids. So uh, that was taboo. And, of course, we'd run them till they threw up if we caught them. Or in extreme cases, kick them off. So now, you know, it's, 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 it's a different world. I don't know whether it's a better world or a worse world. It's a different world. And a lot of it has to do with where you are on the treadmill of time when all these things are happening. As I've gotten older, I'm not I'm less interested in going, uh, you know, to all over the place to find a bottle of liquor. I mean, you not that you have to now, but it's not one of my back then in youth. Of course, it became uh, something that was part of your culture as a kid. But um here we are with the opening kickoff. A whole lot of things are new. I wanted to spend a little time talking about it with you and put it in, you know, old guys' perspective. You know, I'm reminded of that African proverb, when an old man dies, a library burns. Well, that's because we old guys have got a lot of memories and we know a lot of stories and uh, we can look back and take a long view of history and put the present moment in a little more of a perspective. So. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, the opening kickoff and the coach's beer. The other thing that's so interesting to put in a cultural perspective is plastic. You know, in the Gainesville sunset today, and I had to laugh because it's the chair of the committee who pushed this through is Adrian Santosa. 
He, Santos Kent is the one who practiced couch surfing, a term I learned uh, yesterday that I shared with you about people living and residing and homesteading and all the differences. Uh, couch surfing is uh, looking for a place to say you live in order to fulfill the letter of the law uh, long enough to be elected. And then you don't have to stay there at all after that. You just have to claim you do. Um, and, and so you surf for a couch called couch surfing. And uh, hey, Santos, who couch surfed, uh, go look at the deposition, trying to justify that he uh, or testify that he did indeed live in the district he was going to represent when the deposition suggests otherwise. But then it's a gray area, so he gets away with it. He's come up with this thing on plastic. Now, I, I, I wonder if Adrian Hayes Santos saw the graduate. Now, we, th those of us who saw the graduate with Dustin Hoffman, uh, remember the word plastic. It's the most, probably the mem most memorable word in the entire movie. And the graduate, of course, was a big hit, not just because it was Dustin Hoffman, but because it was about older people uh, trying to give young people advice complicated by the cougar type behavior of some older women on the younger people. It was younger males. It was a kind of funny show. It's really a classic. If you haven't seen it, you ought to take a look at it. But there is a moment in the, in the movie uh, where Dustin Hoffman, the young graduate sort of aged guy, is advised by an older man about where Dustin Hoffman should place his real professional interests. And, the, and Dustin, of course, is eagerly listening. And the man sort of whispers and looks over his shoulder, so to speak, as I remember it. I'm doing this from memory, but I remember the scene. Um, it says, plastic. And that is movie, I think, was made in 1967. So... In 1967, now this is why it's so difficult to judge the ethics of the past by the ethics of the present. All of these, these race baiters these days are trying to say, oh, slavery was horrible. Well, they never lived then. They don't know anybody who was a, a slave. They've read this in books. They've invented this in their minds. They don't really know. And they never talk about the fact that in Africa itself, it was so brutal and so murderous that it was black on black killing black. And, and it still is. And they don't ever mention, of course, that blacks bought, brought their conquered competitors to the shores for whites to take wherever all over the world. You know, no white man saw the interior of Africa until, if I remember right, the late 1800s at Victoria Falls. Well, you just didn't go in there. And if you don't believe it, read uh, Heart of Darkness by uh, 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 the great Conrad, the author Conrad, the Polish author. So <laughs> you, you, it's, it's very, you know, whenever you see somebody apply today's ethics to yesterday's behavior, uh, take it more simply. Everybody smoked. For example, you'd go back and look at the movies of the old times and you'll see Bogart and Sinatra and, and Martin and all these guys smoking. I mean, in the war, World War II, they gave uh, soldiers in the rations cigarettes, thought it would help them. And my father came back from that smoking three packs a day. You know, he couldn't kick the habit. So. Now, I suppose you can go back and call those people evil, wicked, horrible, because they gave cigarettes to the soldiers and their rations. That's what, that was, what was done. So it's the, same, it's the same thing with plastic. Back then, plastic was the thing to do. Now, Adrian Santos has come along and chaired a committee and said, thou shalt not, if you're a restaurateur, give... <laughs> I get a kick out of this. Give the patrons plastic as they depart with their takeout order. Huh? 
And I guess in a way, I get them. You get them. I got home yesterday, opened up something. There was a, I didn't, what was I supposed to do with it? There was a plastic spoon. They don't cut nothing. There was a plastic. Now, I have used the spoons. Uh, I kept them around for utility purposes and found something to do with them. But here you get, have you ever seen it? It's a nice little cellophane or sealed wrap package that has a napkin in it and a spoon and a fork and a knife, plastic, and usually some salt and pepper. What do you do with that? You know? And so Adrian Hey Santos has said, you got you thou shalt by government decree no longer do that unless the individual asks for it. So I have to look, take the long history, long view of history and culture and say, wow, <laughs> you know, go back to the graduates and watch Dustin Hoffman get his advice from his elders by the pool about what to do with his professional life. And they'll tell you plastic, you know, humor is comes up. I guess with maturity, some you have some confidence in yourself. So those are two things that kind of interested me. And that's all in the context of the opening kickoff. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it is, it is what it is. And, and I, but my point here about these things, it's very unwise, probably a real flaw in basic logic to try to apply one generation's ethics to another generation's behavior. Um, or even particularly apply one culture's ethics even to another culture's ethics. You know, that which is, you know, we know, for example, that the black culture uses with impunity uh, the N-word. Oh, it, it's absolutely slung all over the place. Look at look at Snoop, whom I like. I like Snoop Doggy Dog. I happen to like Tupac Chico. I, li- I like these guys. I think they took violence and turned it into poetry as they knew it. You know, so it has all this horrible treatment of women in it. That's that's how they grew up. I mean, so they made music out of it. Something there, it's admirable. And they're not dumb. Snoop Dogg is very, very bright. And, and Tupac was. But, uh, you know, you, you, you can't, you know, you can't say that their use of the N-word is wrong, okay, if they accept the use of the N-word as right or okay. Now, can they tell you that the white guy can't use it? There you go. There's the complication. That's what, there's the rub, if you will. When one culture tries to tell the other what to do, but doesn't do it itself, the double standard, we're going to get into that because I'm working on a theme here in case you haven't recognized it, that Biden's culture is not our culture. That by that I mean all those who are not uh, um, um, Brandon followers, he just has decided to label as evil, as a threat to the country. It's the most dangerous presidential speech I've heard in my lifetime, and I've heard presidential speeches all the way back to Truman in person. Okay, but I haven't heard anyone talk like that. Like he talked. Now, the closest we came to it, but he wasn't calling uh, the presidential followers the name. It was Spiro Agnew. He called the college students nincompoops, nattering, if I remember correctly, nattering nincompoops. Well, and that, of course, was during the Kent State time. Um, by the way, I'm, production, I'm getting a conversation here. There's an arrow on the screen. may not be avoidable. But anyway, um, just wanted to pass it along to you. There, um, there it goes. I see it myself moving now that I noticed it. Um, uh, did I see it right by my head now, production? <laughs> there it goes, baby. It looks like a little mouse running across the screen. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, uh, that, that, that's kind of the, the conversation I'm having now 
because I'm really leading up to putting this presidential speech in context. Now, uh, um, it's, it is what it is, and it will never be any different. It's always been this way through all the cultures, uh, all the histories. It's gone back and forth. Uh, people now comparing the, uh, the tone and everything today to the Civil War, pre-Civil War uh, of the 1800s. Yes, it's, it's the same sort of uh, um, inability to reach some sort of uh, compromise. Uh, the, two, the two views or so, the two cultures are so vastly different. Uh, one of the things I'm, I'm glad to see, and I, I'm for this, Snoop Dogg, as much as he's sung about violence and as much as he's used the N-word and all the ho word and all that, he has become acceptable in, in the culture he, de, he, de, he, he, he's not of, if you will. I'm trying to find a way to say this, and that's good. The fact that Snoop Dogg makes an ad for beer on the beach in a lounge chair is good. I mean, that brings us together. We're sa- I'm saying, Snoop, I may not sing your songs. I may not have come from your world, but I respect the fact that you're a bright guy, that you're a creative guy, and that you have a real sense of humor and that, you know, you're seen there on the beach uh, with the songs, uh, with the beer. So um, that, that, of course, is, is um, what I wish we had more of, that kind of, not the division that we hear in the presidential speech, which I'm going to get into in a moment after a bottom-of-the-hour break, but the real true unity. But Biden's not interested in that. Biden is interested in dividing us so that he might have political advantage. And uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, so just almost... Um, Break time production. Let's take a break now, a couple minutes early, and I'll come back with the sponsors of weather and then uh, take a little look at the culture as it pertains to Biden. Is that okay? I think. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Maurice T. McDaniel, Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All these poop. A warthog. He's gonna come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. 
No, James. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. Well, welcome back. Welcome back. Thank you, production, for that break. Thanks for all the sponsors and our advertisers. We really need you, and we appreciate your supporting our community forum. Well, 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 the weather is, I guess the big news is we now have a named tropical storm, Danielle. And Danielle could become who knows what. Rain, rain, rain is generally what we get in the month of September in the peninsula of Florida. And sometimes it comes in very violent forms and Danielle could become that. So keep your eyes open. It's a little cooler today. It's in the high 80s. And of course, once again, we have our rain coming in big um, portions, depending upon where you are. Um, the, the, the whole uh, uh, unstable kind of changing of the guard, if you will, in the heavens produces these types of stresses that produce this type of water. Um, un- incredibly, there were zero named storms in the Atlantic Basin during the month of August for the first time in 25 years. I'm looking at my news, uh, my weather computer right now. We are going to have probably some downpours in the Gulf Coast, uh, and uh, we're going to have um, um, really compared obstacle weather for Death Valley is going to be at 125 degrees. We're not there, but, uh, you know, it's uh, one of those things, and it's called Death Valley for a reason. So keep your eye on the Atlantic. That is the news right now, and um, pay attention to the weather reports. I always would suggest we prepare for the worst and then uh, take it from there and hope for the best. The Speech is now my next topic, and I want to, if you picked up the way I'm ordering, ordering my thoughts today, um, I'm talking about culture. And I just used um, Snoop Doggy Dog as an example of cultures being able to cross over each other peacefully. Snoop is a, a Snoop, you know, he's got a history of walking and running on the wild side and singing about it. And yet he can come over to uh, be absorbed and assimilated and accepted by the peaceful side, if you will. And I'm just using that as kind of a oversimplified tag way, but that's not what we're getting from the president. We're actually getting, let me offer a comparison here that might be an oversimplification. Using Snoop as an example, we're actually getting more leadership from even Mike Tyson, I've been watching Mike Tyson lately. Mike Tyson has realized that, you know, my life as a thug and as a, as, a, as a project in the projects and all this, that was Mike Tyson. But that's not Mike Tyson now. Mike Tyson has realized that there's such a thing as mortality and humanity. And by golly, you know, I'm not out here to knock everybody out. I only did that in the ring as a way to get out of the ghetto in my life, which was my life, but I've got children now and I've got responsibilities now. And, you know, I've got to be fair and supportive of them. And if you look at the U S open, you'll see Mike Tyson uh, sitting next to Martina Labatalova. You'll see him sitting next to his daughter courtside at the U S you know, this guy, my point is he didn't go into you know, leadership comes with age. It's, I mean, what well, it can come at young age, but it generally comes as you mature at age. Uh, you know, he's out there now. He's, you know, he's a little bit different, but we're not getting that from Biden. And this is the most disappointing thing I personally have seen as a citizen. And I have been around, I don't remember Roosevelt, but I do remember Truman. And I vividly remember Eisenhower and everything else thereafter. But this is the worst that I remember from a president. I mean, from a president, I'm just, I just I just can't. But I have to tell you that I don't think it's not. It's just 
It's not Biden so much, and I'm going to say this, and I'm not the first guy, as much as it is Obama. And Ted Yolo and I have talked about this. Obama is the one who said, I'm going to remake America. America, and he, by golly, has set out to do it, and he's doing it. And let me just give you a couple of things. Obama's 2012 Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals was, at that time, an unprecedented expansion uh, of presidential power. And it's then, since then, it's become a beacon for migrants around the world, inviting them to risk their children's lives by sending them to the United States. This was strictly an abuse of presidential power by Obama. And because the migrants know, because of Obama, that their children will not only be allowed into the country, but will eventually be allowed to stay permanently by some other president's executive amnesty that will be forced upon that president. So the DACA program was illegal. And it caused, if you want to look at a moment where there was a loss of faith in the rule of law, many people point to that moment. Many people point to that moment. Um, And Obama claimed against laws written by Congress, by the way, that he had full authority to decline to enforce the law for entire classes of people. Well, you know, that's a violation of Article I of the Constitution. It doesn't vest all this power in the executive branch. We've got the legislative Senate and Congress, and we even have the Supreme Court over there to try to keep it in order. But it can be abused. It can get appointments to it that, you know, see it politically rather than professionally and legally. Um, so, so think back to that. Think back to that. That's part of the climate of frustration that Biden is oversimplifyingly saying that if you don't go along with that, you're a threat to democracy. When the real threat to democracy, you understand, was Obama's DACA program. Did he mention did Obama? Did Biden mention that? Does he think we're stupid? Well, I guess he does. Yeah, he does. He thinks we're stupid. And those of us who are not, we're a danger. See, we're a danger. But in every dictatorial society, the intellectuals have, or the bright people or the people who know have always been a danger. Always been a danger. In Estonia, Dr. Ans Oros became my professor, distinguished professor of classical literature and criticism because Kennedy smuggled him out of Estonia because the Russians were going to imprison him and kill him. And Senator Smathers brought him to Florida. Incredible opportunity for someone like me to sit in the presence of someone like Dr. Oros. This spread of false information that has been going on steadily for 10 years deliberately spawned and created and proffered by Obama and picked up by the Democrats, the press, has been one of the most dangerous things about the culture that Biden is defending. The social ills that have come about because of the woke values believing they can perfect man. So they turn government into a religion. The whole thing about Christianity is that you have failed as a man. And you don't really ever achieve any salvation until you recognize that. But the progressive woke 
refuses to even include that in the process of, 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 of maturity. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? No politician since Obama that I can remember has employed this rhetoric of partisanship that has been picked up by Biden and made a plank, if you will, in the Democrat Party. Now, everything I'm saying, I'm saying from a contrarian's point of view to what Biden said last night, because what I think he did was very, very dangerous. When you put on your Trump T-shirt now, or when you put on your Trump hat now, ask yourself if you are in more or less danger when you wearing that hat or T-shirt at the gas pump, pumping gas, or in uh, some activity in the public where everybody's wearing a ball cap. Ask yourself if you were in more or less danger from the intolerant left who was encouraged by Biden's speech to be not less, but more intolerant. Because Biden has suggested strongly that those who wear that hat, so to speak, are a threat to your way of life. But what way of life is he talking about? He's talking about this one that I'm going through with you right now, step by step for your class today. Open partisanship for the purpose of securing power. All right. The arguments that Biden should be helping us understand are far more complex than his presentation than his assumptions and that his uh, comments would have you believe. He has you believe it's in what we call in logic an either or fallacy. He's made politics very simple. You're either with us or you are against us. And if you're against us, we are synonymous with the country. Therefore, you are against the country. That's a little syllogism. If you write that out, as I made my students do, write syllogisms, you will see. Yeah, you may have worn your Trump shirt to a local RCEC meeting, Jackie, but you won't wear it downtown to the grocery store. Okay. Glad you made that comment. Old time friend there. This got to be so bad, by the way, and there's no mention of this. And of course, it. We did go through and do this afterwards. Fact-checking became a, 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 a standard need in our culture. And uh, not only that, but as you know, any uh, censorship became a very, info, a, a very integral part of our culture um, because uh, we've been a, a, a victim of it. Uh, we have invented a way around it. We call it voter beep. We don't say the word because there's an algorithm that catches it. Let me go through another thing that perhaps you haven't been watching or paying much attention to. Title IX. No mention of this in Biden's speech. What was Title IX? It was a, a memo in 1972. Uh, when Congress enacted the Education Amendment, Kendall Tights writes about this. Um, it was a simple provision designed to ensure equal opportunity for women. Okay. On the basis of sex. It barred schools that receive federal money from discriminating against students on the basis of sex. But what has the Democrat Party done with the definition of the word sex? It now has redefined it, has it not? 
And in the redefinition of sex, Title IX is now a barrier to the progress of women rather than ensuring progress for women. It has become a barrier to the progress for women. And you ask how? Pray tell you say how. Furthermore, Title IX curtailed due process for students accused of sexual misconduct. So when we redefine sex, we end up taking away due process from fewer students or more students. What is the definition of sex now? And, you know, in the letter from my colleague, Dr. Robitaille, he accused uh, uh, in the Gainesville Sunset the other day, uh, DeSantis followers and Trump followers <coughs> of being against women's rights. And, of course, I pointed out to you how... I'm going to say it's stupid that was. And if it had been just a regular citizen, it wouldn't have been very remarkable, so to speak. But this is a trained professor, retired, of English that was in the same department I was in. So what does sex mean now? It doesn't mean what Sue Baird says, look down and see what you got. It means sexual orientation and gender identity. Okay? And therefore, you can identify as a female as if you were a girl or a woman and still be a male. And because you identify as a female, it follows you may participate and be included in bathrooms, locker rooms, sports teams. They're now required to accommodate you using what? Title IX, which was never intended to be used this way. Now, does Biden address this complexity? Does Biden recognize some of the things that really are issues in the culture? Or does he just demonize those who don't agree with this? Of course, I'll let you answer the question. In addition to expanding the term sex to encompass gender identity, the new interpretation of the rule states that under the proposed regulations, a federal education program or activity includes not only buildings or locations that are part of the school's operations, and this is really interesting, it's a real stretch, but all of its academic and other classes, extracurricular activities and athletic programs. So that under Title IX opens the door for Billy Bob to be Billy Jean. So Title IX, which was intended to further women's softball, basketball, lacrosse, swimming, Florida didn't have a swimming team in the 70s. Women. That, 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 is, that is something that's not mentioned or recognized or even pretended to exist in the esteemed leader's speech. Huh? Are you with me, students? Income. Let's talk about income equality, not inequality. How does this happen? That we've come to a culture 
I've been researching all these things for you. You know, that's the purpose of coming to class. Your professor researches for you, shares with you. You take notes and you do with what you want to. The call-in line is open, by the way, if you want to give us a ring and have a chime with us, have a talk with us. I pay for that call-in line, by the way, and if people don't start using it, I'm going to stop paying for it. Um, this is by Phil Graham and John Early. They know what they're talking about. They've been chairman of the Senate Banking Committee, and um, they have a view contrary to that of Biden's. Let's talk about what has become a term you may not be familiar with. Um, and that is uh, um, the transfer money, transfer money. What is transfer money? It is the distribution of money in America. And how has these how have these transfer payments affected? And I got a couple of pretty smart guys I'm, I know on the on the chat here with numbers and and um, accounting uh, backgrounds. How has transfer money affected what was once in the culture a core value, the work ethic? Well, what do you think it's done? Eroded the work ethic. Real government transfer payments to the bottom 20% of household earners surged by 269% between 1967 and 2017, while middle income households Saw, uh, I'm getting a report the network bandwidth is low, production. There we are. We're back, I guess. Are you there? Are we okay? Okay, thank you. Um, I got a little, I'm sorry, listeners, I had a little thing flash across the screen here. Um, Let me back up again. Real government transfer payments to the bottom 20% of household earners surged by 269% between 1967 and 2017, while middle-income households saw their real earnings after taxes rise by only 154% during the same period. And that has basically equalized the income of the bottom 60% of Americans. There's the statistics. What has happened? We are paying people not to work and the people who are being paid not to work called transfer payments are doing better than the people who are working and paying taxes. And this has, in, um, I'll guarantee you, Biden didn't talk about this. And this is at the root, root of popular unrest right now. What Biden is hoping to do is distract you from this and to demonize those of you who work hard and who pay taxes. Not only demonize you, but frighten you by saying, I'm going to hire 80% more IRS guys to audit you. And the Untold message is in order to transfer payment from you to the ones who aren't working. This is called socialism and an extreme communism. Now, I want to tell you something. Uh, I don't tell you. I Let me just segue over to something. Argentina. I started to give this production today and I kind of forgot there is out there on the internet an image of an attempted assassination on the vice president of Argentina, a lady who's caused all sorts of problems down there, who has a left of commitment to politics, much like Biden's. And I looked at the weapon. You can see the weapon. And so help me. 
I have to go back and look again. I think it was re, it was a revolver, and the story is it jammed. I mean, a revolver can jam. I've actually had one do that, but it is really very, very seldomly does that happen. But evidently, it happened in this case. But why would somebody want to assassinate the vice president of Argentina? Because, well, let me just give you some facts. You've got inflation rate at 64%. Some of the economists say it will reach 90% by December. You got wages that haven't kept up. So you got a big black market there that's going on because the government subsidies of people like Biden's talking about here are keeping the uh, place on an unlevel playing field. Um, once upon a time, Argentina was one of the seven richest countries in the world. So writes Dave Seminara from Buenos Aires. Um, it was uh, uh, had agricultural abundance. We had agricultural abundance. I think the destruction of our family farms, the, the urbanization of our country is going to prove out to be a big problem for us. Uh, right now, a third of Argentinians, uh, Argentines live in poverty and tens of thousands of small businesses are going under. Right now, small businesses are struggling because they've been ordered to pay uh, wages more than they can pay under the profits that they can make given the rising inflation. You watch it. You're going to see it struggle. Um, This uh, lady's name was Christina Fernandez de Kirchner. Um, So take a look. As I say, I meant to put that on the screen today and just it slipped my mind. Um, Also, um, the, the Argentine government went into a year-long lockdown for COVID. And um, uh, um, that, that of course, stymied a lot of economic growth. Uh, roughly half the country of Argentina works for the government or depends on it for social welfare benefits. Now, in the document I was referring to here, we are almost at that ratio. Was that in Biden's speech, I ask you? Was that in Biden's speech? Anybody hear that? Anybody hear that? I didn't hear it. Universities are free. We just here got a forgiveness of, an uh, an unconstitutional forgiveness by Biden of of, uh, education obligations. I've got a call. Okay, let's take it real quick. Hello. Okay. Hello. Ward. Yes. Hey, it's Ray. How are you this morning? Good, man. I got about three minutes here. Shoot. Uh, let's hear what you got to say. Well, uh, last night, I honestly thought I was listening to a 1939 newsreel with Joseph Goebbels or Heinrich Himmler. Uh, he literally called half the country white supremacists. This thing coming from uh, an elderly, senile, old white man with proven racist behaviors and ties. I, could, I couldn't believe it. He said nothing of substance, nothing about the real problems and crime um, emanating from his party. His party encourages this type of thing. Nothing about the 572 riots, the 26 dead, the thousands of scored, maimed, and injured, the billions in property damage, but white supremacy with Donald Trump as its leader. You know, the Capitol riot, not insurrection, riot was a horrible thing. One could say it was deplorable, but it was a one and done event. How about the massive crime, beatings, and killings going on in democratically controlled cities? I was flabbergasted. I think what he did, though, was he energized the Republican Party. What do you think? We'll find out. We'll find out, Ray. Great comments. I've got a scurry, I think, under the call, but absolutely well. Thank you so much for that. There's a citizen's reply. Is there another call production? Okay, let's take that real quick. Hello? They dropped. Okay. Well, that was um, that was one of our listeners, Ray Stern, commenting, and I think he's probably a very accurate kind of um, 
uh, anecdotal response to what we're hearing. He did literally, Biden call half the country racist. So uh, that's a dangerous path to go down. And uh, have, hello, have I got somebody there? Okay. And um, that is, uh, that's a dangerous path to go down. Well, we're out of time. And I, I, I just thank you for this opportunity to go through and kind of put our culture in context from uh, an old man's look back at history here. So um, um, have a great Labor Day. We will take, I will take a break on Labor Day as a lot of people who want to have a, a share a little time with me personally, which I'm more than happy to do. And uh, we'll let the production pick out one of their favorites to run. And hopefully we'll be back with you on Tuesday. So um, have a great weekend and, um, and uh, keep, keep learning. Keep learning. Warren Hall, Command Center out.